everybody welcome to the 217th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage here we have a very special guest for this pod he was a guest on like our 20th episode ever and he's back what is up big john how you doing all right well that could either mean two things either i didn't do good the first time or you guys are too baller now to have someone like me come back you got like what twelve hundred of these podcasts, and, I, and I'm only making it for the second time. What Just, usually happens is I'll text Sage, "Hey, what's up? What are you doing? Not much. I'm kind of bored." Oh, okay, you want to record? Sure. So it doesn't really leave a lot of time to uh, go out and uh, invite people to hop on. We usually record super late too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just really me and Sage chopping it up, but we. And I'm sure you guys, you guys don't want to deal with my agent and all that because then it just that just gets crazy. The fees, the back and forth on the emails. I mean, I want to thank you for all those gift certificates too. That was pretty Popeye's, Popeye's chicken in the house combo seven. I had Popeye's for dinner myself tonight. They forgot all of my dipping sauces, and I was very disappointed. <laughs> First world problems, baby, bro. You damn right, man. Well, what are we gonna talk about, man? I'm yeah. gonna tell you one thing. I'm gonna tell you one thing right now. I'm gonna interrupt. I don't get to talk to anybody, man. I'm married with kids. We got a pandemic going on. I'm not working. I haven't worked in nine months. I haven't talked to anybody. I haven't talked to another man in like nine months. So well, if, for I, list- if, if I go for like three hours, dog, I apologize to, the, to your listeners out there. For our listeners out there, uh, let them know who you are, what you do, and really how long you've been in this basketball game, not just with your video stuff, but just knowledge of the game. Yeah, man, I want to warn them out there. Uh, I'm going to probably drop a lot of knowledge bombs tonight. So <laughs> take cover. Um, <laughs> no, man, I'm joking around. Uh, John LaCrofka, born and raised here in Northeast Portland. Um, huge basketball fan. Um, I'm in broadcast. I work half the year with, well, I'm not counting this year was weird, but normally I work half the season or um, half of the year, six months with the Blazers on Blazer Broadcasting's coverage of the games. Um, I started there, dang dude, 99, just being a grunt carrying cables. And, uh, now I'm in charge of, if you guys watch the game, I do all the instant replays, highlight packages, music videos, uh, any type of editing on the fly is me. Um, I got some other guys with me, uh, at home, some really cool guys that, uh, have come up and are, you know, with me or above. I mean, these guys are fantastic. It's always cool to train someone. It's dangerous, but it's cool to train someone or to be around as they're learning and then to see them, you know, come up to you and then excel. Um, Tony and Barrett, I can give those guys a shout out. I love working with them. Uh, but yeah, I'm on the broadcast anytime you guys watch the games, man. Um, but I'll also work for TNT. Uh, and then the rest of the year, I do fights. I worked for HBO Boxing for 10 years. They're now gone, which is weird. But I started doing some Fox fights. I do uh, Bellator MMA. Um, I did golf for you know, 15 years, U.S. Open, PGA Championships, everything. So if, uh, and, you know, I'll do college football and I'll do small things, man. We'll do a University of Portland basketball game. But uh, I'm just in the broadcast world. Anything that uh, you guys watch on TV, I kind of got my hands all over it, good or bad. So you mentioned not working since since March when the regular, regular season uh, shut down. The, the preseason's coming back up. 
we're less than a week away. The 11th, we've got the Kings. And then the 13th, we got the Kings. And then we got the Nuggets twice. So we're playing four times within a seven-day span, Friday to Friday, the 11th through the 18th. How are you and your broadcasting crew approaching this? Is it going to be a remote broadcast every single time? Are you in a location? Uh, usually you're in that truck together. How is that process going to look uh, during this coronavirus pandemic? Right. So usually, uh, like uh, like he said, we're in a truck. Looks like a big, you know, constructor. Looks like a big uh, tractor trailer going down the road. Um, there's a studio inside that's parked in the loading docks right outside the court, and that's where we work. That's our that's our headquarters. That's where we're always um, we're there. You know, eleven hours a day, and the fact that, and, and on the road is the same situation. We're in a loading dock in LA, in Boston, in Miami, wherever. And uh, um, obviously not being able to do that with the season stopping. Our last game was March 11th, March 12th. Against um, the Suns, right? Uh, you know, I couldn't remember. I just remembered it because it was my, my daughter's birthday. It was that next day. And I was like, this is weird, dude. I'm have the day off. This is fantastic. Uh, but yeah, like little you said, did you know, <laughs> little did I know. So normally, like D Haas said, we're in a studio in a truck. Um, we did the bubble games, uh, at the Moda and we're in the studio where like the pregame halftime postgame show and big screen show is, they call it high post and low post. And with technology now, which is crazy, it's changed. It changed the world of broadcast for sure, but we are able to get cameras back from a location through fiber. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. So we did all those games that you guys, if you guys watched on Comcast, and if they weren't on, you know, if you guys weren't watching Turner, our, uh, it's not Comcast anymore, is it? NBC Sports Northwest? Yeah. Don't tell anybody I'm a direct TV guy. <laughs> my, Why are my, you trying to expose yourself, man? My family hasn't watched a Blazer game in like 15 years. <laughs> um. So... Anyway, all the cameras get shot back to us instead of a, a game like you guys would be used uh, used to watching with 15 cameras or whatever you'd normally see. Uh, we were handcuffed. Um, they only sent us back, I want to say, six, seven cameras. Um, and Jeff Curtin, our director, you know, we see that and we're just freaking out because we just don't have we have half of what we're used to working with. So, you know, it makes our job a lot tougher to tell that story. Um, but it goes to show that, you know, Blazer, our you know, laser broadcasting kicks ass. I'm, I'm a bit biased, but we got guys that just, you know, adapt and overcome. And we were able to uh, do a game. And, you know, people at home don't notice that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, I notice it because when I'm wanting to give you a certain super slow-mo look of that ball coming off the dude's fingers and it's going out of bounds or Dame's eyes winking at CJ to cut back door, we just don't have that. We just don't have that access. Um, at least we didn't in the bubble. So we try to make it work with what we got. But to answer the question the long way around, we are not traveling. We are not traveling. This is my first year since 0405, not traveling with the team. So um 0506. My rookie year was Martel Webster's. No. My rookie year was we had just traded Sheed and those guys. We still had Zebo and Ruben on the team. Oh three oh four. Okay. So then, oh four. I knew. I knew how. You, you already do. You already well, because do. the, the Pistons won the, the chip with Sheet in 04. So it had that was the year we traded them. So it was either Correct. that or the fall. So oh four oh five is when I started traveling. But anyway, uh, to finish your your question, sorry guys. Uh, we are we're going to be doing stuff back from the Moda um, home games. Um, uh, home games are going to be in the truck with a lot more cameras and a lot more guys. So I think it'll have a feel like a normal game. 
as normal as you can possibly be. And road games, we aren't going to travel. We are going to do those games out of uh, Blazer Broadcasting. And it'll have the same vibe, feel as the bubble, which I think a lot of people liked. Um, uh, so it's it's uh, it's tough. But, uh, you know, that's if that's the worst thing that we're dealing with right now in this day and age, I think we'll yeah. make it. I mean, I'm a I'm a product of Blazer Cable, like right yeah. like when you're five, six years old and you might get 20 games a year that come on KGW unless you oh, yeah. pay for that Blazer Cable. Oh, yeah. You could literally just set a camera up at midcourt and I'd watch it like it was a, a varsity high school basketball game. That's the only angle you got. Or you got a dad in, in the stands with a camcorder following along like I'll watch it like I, I know this is your profession. This is your life. And you notice those details. Yeah. I'm just thankful there is one, at least one camera. I can watch the score. I can know the time and I can see the guys. Uh, right. that, that's what, that's what I live for. I mean, again, I didn't grow up with an iPad, any of that stuff. So having that available, is just like, it's mind blowing. When you said you used to have like 15 plus and now you have six. Yeah. I'm still just like, that's, that's right. a lot to me, but I know that it really does limit what you are capable of doing as, as a unit. Right. Yeah. It's going to be a challenge, but like I said, man, we got some, our crew is solid, man. These guys, as much as I hate them all personally, because I have to travel <laughs> with them all the time, uh, like brothers, uh, they all do the job well. So and we don't have anything to worry about. Um, and uh, on top of that, when we did the bubble games and what we're about to do is unbelievably um, prepared amount of COVID training and how to handle that situation at the arena. And we're all mandated. We all had to take classes. And <clears throat> when we did it at the bubble this summer, they were very thorough, man. It was mass all the time, no matter what. We had an app that they have through the team that you check in um, health-wise how you feel. And then when we got there, brother, they made sure you checked in on your app before you got there. And then they had an infrared scan, you know, like FLIR technology, man. Uh, to check your temperature and make sure you're good to go. You know, our engineers have all our areas wiped down all the time and we're wiping them down after. So it's definitely, um, it's definitely in the front uh, of everybody's mind having to deal with that. So that's kind of what we're doing right now is a lot of training on that, um, which it's a factor, man. And uh, I don't know how long, I hope it's not, you know, forever, but it's something that we're all, uh, we're all having to do just to get through this. The lack of cameras and the lack of assets that you have, it kind of reminds me when I used to do like live DJ sets, mm -hmm. sometimes they didn't have all the stuff. So it made you have to jerry rig something yeah. together that yeah. kind of sparks your creativity of like, okay, if that's not there, I can do this, this, and this, and it will work. If they don't have a mic, I can plug my headphones into the, the mixer and then talk if I need to talk. So it kind of like, the restrictions kind of spark some creativity, at least for me and, you know, the technical aspects that I used to do. And, and in my field, it's like that. You'll, mm -hmm. we'll go do, I'll go do some small MMA fight in like Kansas. And I'm on a truck. That's like a quarter of the size of the blazers. And yeah. dude, I got like four cameras and I've got, instead of me and four guys, it's just me. And you know, you're jumping and trying to edit and trying to do everything. And you know, that's um, in my business and, you know, and a lot of other stuff, man, you just got to kind of, deal with the punches, man. And yeah, and roll with them. Sink or swim. So you mentioned you've been with the Blazers since 0405 season. Traveling, traveling, traveling with them. Traveling. Yeah. yeah I was, I was a little, I was a grunt, like a production assistant doing stuff for about five years before that. 
you know, I've, I've, I've worked with uh, you, not directly, but with the Blazers for a five-year period. You know, I've seen you on the court during pregame. You know, you have relationships with some players. Over the course of these two decades, are there some players that stand out with just how great they were to interact with? Maybe some of them with your kids as well, because you had, you know, that they're grown up, but you had two young kids growing up. And um, who are some of those players that really, like, stand out when somebody asks, like, who are the great relationships that you've, uh, you know, met along yeah. the way? There's some interesting ones and and Portland's really lucky because it just so happens that some of our best players over the years were actually some of the coolest dudes Um, interacting with players all around the league in other, in other situations. That's not always true. Um, But you know, the big names, B Roy, very shy, very to himself, uh, but very cool and down to earth. I mean, that dude, you know, wouldn't hesitate to say what's up and ask how the family is. And that's when my kids were younger. Those were, that was his favorite, man. I got some, you know, cool old memories of him hanging with the kids, but you know, as a, right now, fast forward to now we are, you know, I, I really don't, if, if people are listening to this man, they're Blazer fans. I don't need to tell them this. We are unbelievably lucky to have someone like Dame uh, represent us on and off the court. I mean, this dude is, I feel bad. I feel weird saying this stuff. Cause it's like, it's just been, it's been so overreported. But the dude is just solid, man. He's just a cool ass dude. Um, you know, I, you know, my grandpa taught me you can you can judge a lot about somebody by how they treat people who can't do anything for them. Mm-hmm. That's what he used to say. Is like, you know, if the CEO of the company treats the janitor just like he does, you know, you know, somebody else, you know, they're cool people. Man, Dame is just as cool as hell, man. He just comes up, asks how the kids are you know, cracks on me for some tweet I had just random stuff like that, you know, makes fun of my shoes. Uh, you know, it, and I, I crack on him on my shoe game. Cause I got a couple Adidas IDs. I know he doesn't have of his shoes. And I'm like, you wish you had these, dude, you wish you had the hookups that I have. Uh, but no, he's just a solid dude. And then just random ass names, random ass people. Ed Davis was just a cool ass dude. Uh, he became like my daughter's favorite player. Uh, She'd bring in, you know, Girl Scout cookies and stuff, and he bought a ton. And then we saw him at the zoo the next summer, and he went out of his way to say what's up. And uh, there's there's a lot of guys. You know, some guys get a bad rep. L.A., LaMarcus, man, was a cool-ass dude. He's just shy, didn't like the attention. Zebo was actually, you know, a really cool dude. Made some bad decisions, had a lot of bad influences in his ear maybe. I don't know the details, but a lot of dudes, man. Um, Steve Blake, outstanding. Prisbilla, super cool. Uh, list goes on and on. I can be totally honest. There's only a handful of dudes that I didn't dig. Marcus Camby was cool as hell. Uh, Juwan Howard, unreal. Um, I didn't have a lot of interaction with Mello this year, but what I did, that dude was cool as hell. So, yeah, I think uh, I think overall in general, athletes might get a really bad rap. I mean, if you compare it to the percentage of population, you know, my next door neighbor is an asshole, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you know. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, this dude right here is an asshole. I mean, it's oh, just the people live on un- that live under me. Yeah. Hate me. yeah. I talk I mean, so you know, much shit online. Yeah. So if you take a chunk of, you know, the, the community, man, there's going to be percentage of bad dudes, but yeah, those, some of those names are guys I could probably go on and on, but there's some great guys out there. You mentioned B Roy and clearly we have Carmelo Anthony and Mello was asked at media day. Hey, if you could wear number seven, would you take it? Like, absolutely. Let's get a petition. I, I would love for that to happen. It didn't happen. He's still wearing double zero. Seems like most of the fan base is ready to 
say, okay, that's fine. One legend to another wearing it, the number's not retired. Where do you sit on that spectrum of number seven? Should it be retired? Should Carmelo be able to wear it? Or does it even bother you? I've kind of gone back and forth on that. At first, I was like, dude, no, that's B-Roy. We can't do that. And then I hear all these arguments of people saying, he was only with us for four years. He didn't lead us to the playoff wins, blah, blah, blah. Melo's a Hall of Famer. Dude, the number thing is a real tricky thing. And, you know, I don't know. I know nothing about B-Roy's relationship with the team or how, you know, if he's not around or if he's around or what's, you know. I can tell you that I'm not offended when players wear other players' jerseys. You know what I'm saying? It just, Mm -hmm. it doesn't, it's, it's just not that big of a deal to me. Um, I'll be totally honest. I bet you B-Roy is a mellow fan. They battled, you know what I'm saying? And if you're going to have, you know, it's not like Steve Funkelmeyer from the University of Oklahoma is trying to rock the seven. You know, I mean, this is Carmelo Anthony, man. Um, Didn't someone else, Kobe Kobe Carl. Like that right there. Come on, dog. Kobe Carl shouldn't be wearing B-Roy's seven. Mm. Um, I've got, probably better stats than Kobe Carl overall career wise, but you know, Carmelo, I mean, Carmelo, I mean, I've got no beef with it. I mean, it, it, he's such a, such a high level player that, that I'm sure B Roy would be cool with it. Yeah. I mean, if, if we're going to allow Ennis Cantor, who is a, a buyout player to rock the double O yeah. Kevin Duckworth, not only two-time all-star most improved player, but was an ambassador with the team came back was on the road with the make it better foundation with Jerome Kersey. Like it may have not been retired, but that number was sacred to a lot of players and right. fans. Okay. Right. Let's let Ennis work. That's fine. But so if, to me, if that's fair game, I mean, B where seven's got to be fair game too. If it's not, if it's not in those rafters, right. then that, that's just my take. And again, it is Carmelo Anthony. Again, he's coming off the bench for us. Hall of fame player assigned for the minimum. Like it, it's not just a, even a, he's here for half a season. He's coming back. Like that, that, that that's a big deal. So I have no problem with it. I, I don't see the reason of people getting up in arms. And if it makes somebody feel better that they get to wear a number like athletes, they're superstitious. Yeah. They, oh, yeah. they go through their entire lives with a certain number and right. a little weird if, if they don't get it, they may not feel a part of themselves. So well, uh, I got a question. I got a question to you guys about Mello. There was all this talk all of a sudden, you know, came out of nowhere with him signing with us. And everybody's like, well, wait a second. Is he going to start? And we got this Jones kid from Miami and blah, blah, blah. He's supposed to be starting and this and that in Covington. I, I'm one of those guys just as a hoop junkie that starting doesn't mean nothing to me. It's, it's who's in that game that last nine minutes of the tight game. And I damn sure, and I don't, I, it's kind of funny. I always got to preface this. I don't know Jack squat, but I can tell you, I plan on seeing Carmelo Anthony on the court coming down clutch. In the finishing five. That's what we call it here. I mean, is that what you guys call it? Finishing five? I mean, why would you not have a dude that – because when he came, the minute he signed, I was pumped. I was one of the few. There was all these haters out there. The minute he signed, I was pumped because you guys know if you're playing hoops, you need the respect of the refs. You need a player out there that's going to demand the – dude, it's Carmelo Anthony. Just give that dude the ball in the post. We saw it in the bubble. So when, when it's coming down and it's a you know tie game with three minutes left, I or uh, three minutes left, I damn sure know that Dame would probably want to have Mello as an option at the high post or something like that. I mean, I mean whoever's going to start if they say he's not going to start, whoever that starter is is going to be what like a Noah Vonleh starter, you know, where he plays like I the think beginning. The beauty of the the roster 
is you have a lot of depth. You had a lot of versatility, a lot of options for Terry Stotts to use. You also have a lot of transparency. It wasn't just Neil, wasn't just Terry, Damon CJ, Carmelo Anthony mentioned. He had conversations with, with four individuals about being honest about, we want you back, but here's your role. You're likely going to come in off the bench. We don't need you as much as we needed you at the beginning of last season when we had injuries and we just needed somebody to come in and get buckets and, mm. and start. But again, we're not going to toss you by the wayside and let your legacy go to shit. So there's going to be a little bit of, of a give and take, a little bit of a compromise. And yeah, if you're rolling, we're going to leave you in there. Um, I think if there's a great matchup, you're going to see Melo finish the game. He can play oh, three, the four. And uh, he can be, and, and D, he could be the number one option off that bench. Yeah. You run the offense through him. Exactly. I mean, I think he's going to be the sixth man. I mean, I think it's going to be he and Trent off the bench. And him and Gary Trent play well together. Exactly. And they got a, they got good chemistry. I mean, he's like his big brother out there. Yeah. Get big shots. Yeah. And it's it, it, like I said, it's going to be matchup dependent. Like, I don't know if necessarily the Lakers are going to be the best matchup for Melo. You need somebody that's going to be able to try to defend LeBron. But against the Dallas Mavericks, they don't have that wing that Melo would be matched up against. So right. you're going to have the plus advantage. So, and I think players respect that from a coach that if you have it rolling, you're expected to continue to play you know what matchups are, are going to be good in your favor. And Melo said he had like a conversation with himself, like, okay, I'm at this point in my career where I'm accepting that I'm going to come off the bench. And Houston, he was kind of blindsided and probably felt like they weren't treating him with the respect uh, that he deserved based upon his resume over the course of his career. And then you've right. got Neil, who has done a great job, I think, with him. Terry, a fantastic job. And then Dame just being like, we're here to let your legacy run out in a positive manner. We want to see you go out on top. We want people to not only think highly of you as you leave the game, but they want Portland to be synonymous with mellow. Like, and I think that's a big deal for the organization to be synonymous with a first ballot hall of famer, because oh, yeah. we, don't have, mm -hmm. we can't count on one hand, how many that we have. Um, and I, I wanted to say real quick, I, I don't know if it's, it's, uh, Haas is a is a super homer. I'll just say that a super homer, and and I respect that. But it's like you always find it seems like on Twitter or something you always find like the positive. I'm not saying your takes aren't right. I'm just saying you always tend to go for the positive. I have always been known just to go for the negative. I just look at what I don't like. You know, I'm like ah, we need to work on that or this. Mm. And I always lowball our win predictions, and I'm always worried about this and worried about that. I can totally tell you this and it's not that i'm not saying this because i'm broke and haven't worked in nine months <laughs> and i don't want to upset my boss i have not been as pumped about the start of a season's roster mm -hmm. as i am right now since wes and nick and all those guys left i mean that that year that what would we win 53 games that year their last season altogether. together 53 or 54 yeah that season, I knew from the get-go, I was like, this is going to be a tough team. We got all in, you know, I'm Nick Batum's biggest fan. And 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 I was like, this is going to be perfect. Everything's going to click. Everybody knows, Wes knows his role, blah, 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 blah. But ever since then, I've been negative. I really have. Realistic, I guess. And they've always <laughs> outdone what I've predicted. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved it because they just kill it. But, but this season, and I, I man, I'm I'm sure I'm jinxing it. I am pumped. We made some great moves. Covington, uh, I've always been a fan of his. I used to watch, you know, I'm a NBA League Pass junkie, so I always watched the Philly games, and I loved mm -hmm. his game there. Um, Cantor is fantastic. 
I mean, that dude, come on, man. All right, he can't guard his shadow. I can score on him down low. But on the other end, that guy's just killing people. He's got the up and under old school game, you know, the Al Jefferson game. Mm. I'm I felt like his defense was better than advertised in his stint with Portland. Like, it wasn't great, but, like, I, I appreciate a player who I know is giving a lot of effort and trying. He's right. trying. He just doesn't. He just doesn't have the speed to defend certain certain uh, a bush. plays. Yeah. A bush, a rock. He can't, <laughs> he can't guard a boulder. I mean, you know, he tries. <laughs> I just don't think he's very good at it. But he he puts in an effort, and I respect that. But that's why you we got sound, Harry you guys, Giles. You guys, you guys sound like my wife every night. <laughs> no, you try. You tried. Put in but, the effort. I'm going to give you the props on that. Hey, at least we have Harry Giles. That's more athletic. That can guard mul- multiple actions in the game. Is that guy going to get on the court though? I mean, is Zach Collins going to get on the court right now? Right. So I, I, I mean, I think Harry, Harry has a pathway to it. Right. What's that, D? I think Harry will get on the court. Um, Terry to pick, up, to pick up Dame's jersey or towels or something that be <laughs> Terry mentioned it during his availability. Like it gives him a mobile center that we haven't had. I mean, you, you said I, I'm positive, and yes, I am, but I also feel like I'm realistic. And I went pretty ballistic during that first preseason game against Phoenix last year when Aaron Baines took us on white side out and shot like five or six threes. They they shot like 28 threes and made I that mean, was ridiculous. It was a nightmare. Hey, didn't, didn't Baines kill us down in Phoenix too, though? Oh, killed yes, us. he did. Yeah, stretch bigs killed us all year, and we didn't have the personnel to match up. Mm-hmm. So now, question is that? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Is Covington going to help on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, Covington. Big, big time, right? Because that's mm-hmm. his strength. Yeah, help defense and team defense is right. what Covington's known for. I got a question for you guys. This is going to be a fun one. Look at me going off, doing my own thing. Hey, it's all good. Which current NBA player best describes you and your, just your Eunice? Who is, who is Dylan? What NBA player is you? Haas, you got to be thinking. As a, as like an actual basketball player? What do they do on the court that you bring every day? Oh, God. Are you thinking for like the softest player ever? No, because I talk. Are you so thinking much like you know what? Hey, Haas, he's gonna say like Dan Dickow or somebody. No, dude, <laughs> I, I I watched the season to Dan Dickow being the leading point guard on a team. That that right. wasn't fun. Um, goddamn, okay. I got him, Haas. What about you? I'm Danny Draymond Green. Green for his mouth, because I talk a lot of shit. So I remember. See, I, I like that. I remember my last actual uh, refereed game i launched a three and just flipped the guy off a game-winning three and just flipped the guy off the <laughs> down you? the court so I, I think i got a little bit of the i love talking shit aspect. here we go bro i like uh, it i like it what about you there haas prime danny green whoa i just danny, gr- danny green he only yeah. shoots like finals danny green like i i make a hold lot on of- Portland Trailblazer against the Pistons, Danny Green. Oh, that's Danny Young. <laughs> See, that's too much knowledge up in there. I'm mixing t- the mental Rolodex is full, bro. No, I didn't say mustache. That You're talking be- Danny Green. Got you. Lakers, Danny Green. Really? I First Danny Green. Prime Danny Green. Like, good Danny Green. I'm with you. at San Antonio. Yeah. Why? Because all I do is shoot threes. All that's he all does like is shoot. No, I'm just talking about you as a person. I'm not oh, talking about your basketball game. Kevin Duckworth. Duckworth? Yeah, that is a 
I am uh, I'm very sensitive. I would not be able to be an NBA player. I, I would all of the criticism and stuff. No, I wouldn't be able to do it. You Dylan, I'd make him cry because I used to talk smack on the court. Oh, I, no, 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 not not from other players, like from media. Oh, you're just hard on yourself. No, no, media fans. Yeah, other players oh. like that doesn't really. I got you. Yeah. All right, I'm I'm a combination. I'm a Frankenstein of two of them, and you guys are gonna absolutely agree with this. You ready? I'm half Dale Davis because I do all the dirty work. I bring that hard hat and that lunch pail, and everybody wants me as their teammate. Except when you get snowed in. Except when I get snowed in. And now you ready for the next one? Now, people at home can't see this. Right? It's all about Russell Westbrook, pause. I know the Blazers hate him. I know the fans hate him. I know everybody hates him. I don't hate him. Dude, I am Russell Westbrook. I bring, I'm absolutely a jerk. I get the job done. You may question the validity of my stats. I'm cool with that. You can say I'm a stat chaser. I'm fine with that. But at the end of the night, boom, that stat line is killing it. And then I'll give you a dirty look and then walk off. I don't dress like him though. I don't I mean, have that drip. I don't have that drip, dog. I mean, as a longtime daily fantasy sports gambler, I've made a lot of money on Prime <laughs> Russell Westbrook. I love the man. <laughs> hey, we'll be in a broadcast and we'll be playing Houston or OKC or wherever my boy is playing at. Washington I now. Just, I would just scream on headsets. I go, I am bringing it back here like Russ. I am absolutely killing it, and I'm going to look you in the eye and let you know. And then talk about, and then talk about your sister. <laughs> Who's the dame in the truck that's going to actually sweep you out of the playoffs, though? Ooh. As, oh, that was a nice one. That was actually good. But did he really – or did he sweep out Paul George? But he oh, took – Russ, he guarded Russ. He did. The entire series. Hey, when that was happening, all of my crew was just killing me. They go, your boy sucks. We're killing you. I mean, they're just killing me, man. I mean, I guess the only one I can think of would probably be Jeff Curtin, my boss, because he could actually just kick me out. <laughs> um, he's scared of me, though. He's he's, hey. intimidated. he's intimidated by my looks and my charm. But, uh, yeah, he could probably take me out if he wanted to. Uh, no, I always just thought that was funny, man. I just, you know, and you were talking about, you know, different players and stuff. And I always like to get a take on how people uh, – how people, um, who they think or who they associate themselves with. Danny Green, though, that's that's a good one. That's just from a play perspective. That's all I do is shoot threes. You shoot threes. I was Charles Barkley as a kid, man. I wasn't as that's I wasn't my, big. That's my I guy. Wasn't, that's right. We talked about that before. We talked about that two hundred episodes ago. <laughs> uh, I Honestly, believe, you might be right on that estimate. I can't believe you guys. You guys have done two hundred and seventeen episodes, and these people. How many listeners you guys get? It's, and don't, Dylan, don't count your family. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I know my mom listens to every episode, and I appreciate her very much. It's does a she me, does, she, does she have any questions for Big John? I don't think she is on Twitter like that. Um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fluid range between a few hundred and a few more hundred. See, that's cool, man, that you guys got that. Then, I mean, well, the only reason I ask. Is I um, during all this downtime, I threw together a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, where can people you, find you, it? You guys, you guys are acting like you didn't listen to it religiously all all summer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was fun, and and it's a lot of work. And people at home listening mm-hmm. to this, dude, it's actually a lot of work to do. 
Um, I was sitting at home. It was like May. I was going nuts. And I was like, dude, I got to do something, man. So mm -hmm. um, I literally, we used to do the road tripping show on mm -hmm. NBA.com when we were on the road. I did that with some of the guys back in the day. And so I said, you know what? We're going to do a home tripping. And so it was home tripping with Big John. And uh, it was fun. We did about 10 episodes. My first guest was Nolan Smith. I mean, you know, hey. you know, ex I watched him a lot at Duke, man. That oh. Duke was on TV all the time back when Nolan and Kyle uh, Singler were there. Right. He's a great guy. And so I did Nolan. Did you guys ever heard of Sports Business Radio, Brian Berger? Yep. Oh, yes. Yep. So I had B on, talked to him. Just different things, man. I was doing sports. I was doing a little bit of this and that. My boy, uh, Marcus, who owns Portland Gear, he came on. Um, friend of mine owns uh, Dew's Restaurant over here in Northeast Portland. My boy, Anthony, I had him come on. He's a huge Blazer fan, so that was a lot of fun. He loves basketball and hip hop, so we talked forever. Oh man! Uh, but yeah, it was a random, it was a random collection, man. I had a bunch of Jamal Crawford. Uh, I hollered at him, he hollered at me, and it never happened. So, it, hey, bro, it happens, right? But it was fun, and so I just, you guys are doing all this work. She did two hundred and I did ten, and I like just, I was like, I wiped out. You know, I worked in radio, so I kind of knew the grind. You know, when you're trying to produce content for radio. It's very similar to producing content for a podcast. So it wasn't that much of a change from what I do on a daily. So, nice. you know, like I, I, I personally edited every single episode. So yeah. it's just like something I'm going to just sit down on the computer and edit. And well, and that's and make... tough, man. It's not, you know, you guys aren't lucky enough to have me on every night where it's just content gold. <laughs> no, <laughs> I have to I have to think of takes. I was just going to say there's not a lot. You're going to have to do like a part one and two director's cut. I'm bringing the fire. Uh, but D the, the, the fans are used to long ups, so it's it's chill. Are they? But are they used to this much street cred on the other end? Nah, uh, you no, 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 because normally I think I'm the only one who brings any. So no, D Hazy, hey Haz, where'd you grow up, man? Albany. Yeah, so they got some cul-de-sacs out there. I don't know if it's necessarily street cred, but um, D he's got some cul-de-sac cred. Dustin is one of the most down white guys I've ever met. <laughs> really? Now, as one who's I'm half white, half Mexican, so I might take offense to that. I'm, I consider myself down. But I, I clicked with D. Haas when we first met. Mm. <laughs> so check it out. So I already asked my one question. Haas, is it cool that I'm asking you guys questions? Yeah, totally. Oh, I don't mind. Well, I don't want to. This is all going to get edited out anyway. He's going to cut all my content. Me? No, that you're. No, it's, it's all me. <laughs> I'm the social guy. You cut out my content, bro. I'm bringing it. Hey. Okay, so, hey, at the end of each one of my podcasts, I also did a good friend of mine, Matt, an actor down in L.A. that we grew up together with. Mm -hmm. Right after high school, dude, he was like on Beverly Hills 90210. He was in Argo. So he had all these great stories of, of hanging out with Vince Vaughn when they first got to L.A. and mm -hmm. tons of cool stuff. But every episode, I'm going to ask you guys the three questions that I asked all of my guests. Are you ready for this? Absolutely. All right. Both of you guys. Favorite athlete growing up? <laughs> Charles Barkley. Clyde Drexler. All right. Maybe that's why I like Dylan so much. Chuck was mine, too. Yeah. Uh, Dustin actually gave me some Chuck memorabilia that I got to frame and hang up here. Hold on a sec. You can edit if you want, but look at this. Whew, I just yeah. rocked the heat yesterday. These are the OGs, dude. God damn. These are, these are like 30 years old. <laughs> so those kicks are older than me. That's what's I, was just gonna, I was just about to say that. Those are the OG Air Force Twos, man. Charles Barkley's. Man, I used to rock those uh, those uh, those Chucks from like 
2008 right. all the time. Right. The, the ones that he paired with Richard Jefferson, yep. those Nikes. I used to be the weirdest with my uh, kicks that I wore. All right, so you guys said Charles Barkley and Clyde Drexler. What about favorite movie growing up? Haas is going to be like a break into Electric Boogaloo or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm just waiting for, for Sage to shit or get off the pot. Right, he is. Can we cut him out of the podcast and just have it be? No, me? I'm going to be real. I think the movie I watched the most was Rush Hour 1 because I like to see other Asians on the screen. So I was like, <laughs> this is my shit. Because there wasn't that much content for Chinese people. So I was like, that's Jackie Chan. I like him. And then it made me learn about Bruce Lee. So I think uh, Jackie Chan and Rush Hour was the linchpin for me to learn about uh, Chinese cinema. So I just didn't want to be embarrassed by saying Rush Hour. Right. That's (laughs) Home Alone. Oh, yeah. Still to this day, favorite movie of all time. How many times have you seen it? It's got to be over 100. I've already watched it for this holiday season. Right, we haven't watched it yet. We're already. Uh, I'm going with Goonies. Like great it. movie. I love every movie. I mean, I'm a movie junkie and a TV and a music junkie. So, anytime I can get a movie going, but I would say Goonies is like my favorite. Man, it's just it's perfection. Mm. Uh, all right, last one is. Look at me looking at my notes. Your favorite artist growing up, like musician or group. Um, and that's a, and that's tough because there's only you know, you only can pick one. Oh, I, I mean, it's pretty easy for me. Oh wow. Uh, his El- record Elton is John? Elton John. For nah, you? man, I was like, my favorite uh, artist of all time is Cannabis. Wow, I remember you used to. Yeah, like Rip the Jacker is hung up right here. I love Cannabis. Yeah, really, but that dude had like one song that was. It's so strange, and what's cool about music is if you find your niche and you dig it, man, you can find. Yeah, I'm one of the. I'm one of the weird. I can tell you right now. I can. I can tell you right now. You go, you ask 250 people that no one would No one's saying it. No one's saying. Listen to Rip the Jacker and tell me that shit isn't flawless, though. No, he, he, was, he had lyrics. It was just, yeah. that's just someone you would never think of. So I think my favorite growing up was KRS-One. And then I found Cannabis, Can I Bus? And was like, yo, the lyricism was crazy. Right. But, so you know, I, I always loved hip hop. So yeah. to find someone who was really lyrical was right. my was my shit. Dust. Middle school Dustin's going to Jay-Z. Uh, what was your favorite? Um, that was it's funny on my podcast, people would always ask me, and it's just it's too rough. It's too tough. Yeah, um, mine have changed as well. Like I, I like I mean, do I say, you know, I'm a lot older than you guys, man. I grew up listening to the you know, classic rock that my dad listened to. Do I say Led Zeppelin? Do I say this? Do I say that? But I'm also, mm. you know, grew up in the 80s. Uh I would probably just say a tribe called quest. Mm-hmm. Like if someone, if I had like tribes catalog and I'd be good forever. I mean, trust me, I listen to everything from Miles Davis to, you know, Rage Against the Machine. I listen to everything. But if, mm-hmm. if I was stuck with tribe, I'd be good to go. You'd be good. Yeah. I think they're my, my, my daughter's, my daughter's middle name. Right is, my daughter's middle name is Q-Tip. That's dope. So <laughs> sorry, guys. I didn't mean to interrupt you, bro. No, I was just saying the tribe is, is in my top five hip hop of all time. Yeah. What's your top five? John, artist, yeah, I mean, Rakim. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Eric being Rakim, but Rakim, um, I mean, dude, Jay Z is ridiculous. I mean, his catalog, you know, he's got so much, so many sick beats. Um, 
I grew up when that, you know, when De La Soul and Tribe Called Quest and stuff really broke out was like my sophomore, junior year of high school. So, I mean, I can't do Tribe and De La. They're the same. The Roots. I mean, a lot of people only know those guys from being on TV, man. But nah, Philadelphia Half-Life's yeah, classic. They were unbelievable. And they're, they're it might one of my top concerts ever was seeing those guys live because they're just amazing. But then I'm a huge Outkast fan. Their old school, old school stuff is just unbelievable. So, you know, I throw Outkast in there, The Roots, Tribe, Jay-Z, Rakim, a little bit of everything. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Biggie and Tupac as much as everybody else. But if I had to, if I had to pick, I'd probably go there. I gave Dustin a paid in full the vinyl for uh, Christmas a year ago or two years ago. Um, the craziest vinyl. Like we totally went off, didn't we? Yeah, this is it's chill. Uh, the coolest vinyl I ever owned. There was some. There was a place called Second Avenue Records downtown, uh, and so we would take the bus down there and go down there and get twelve inch remixes. And so this is 88, 89, like my junior and senior year of high school. I got a Japanese import, Japanese import of a De La Soul track. And you get those 12 inches, whether it be the instrumental, the original, three remixes, blah, blah, blah. So this thing had it. That was like normal. It was no big deal. And we got home and it had this sticker on the side and it, it was in Japanese. I was like, well, what the fuck is that? There was no Google back then. Mm-hmm. So we dug and we figured out there were three sides on this vinyl. Right. And we were just like, what? And there was a an additional second set of grooves on side two. Jesus. And so, you know, we used to make mixtapes back in the day. And so we'd all take turns buying uh, music and then doing mixtape, uh, then recording it. And then the next guy would get the next one and so on. So we literally we had my dad's vinyl all set up and would hit record and then drop the needle. And we wouldn't get it. So we have to go back and do it again. Yep. Drop the needle. It took us like six hours. And we finally got the thirds groove. And it was literally this three-minute song. And it was a De La Soul track. But they let this Japanese kid rap over it. And so it was just this dope, you know, 1989 New York City East Coast beat with this Japanese dude just flowing over the top. We didn't know what the hell he was saying. But it was so just dope this is bananas man a third side and uh to me that was like my coolest thing to this day of finding still have it i used to dj in portland uh like i i had a really cushy gig as the portland state uh basketball dj oh nice you like the japanese og1 <laughs> except after a while i hate fucked every because i did it every <laughs> <laughs> i did it like five times a week and i just couldn't do anything else so after a while i was just like Screw it. I'm playing what I want. Right, right. <laughs> but after a while, I was just like, I am so tired of ho- carrying this goddamn big ass thing of vinyl. I'm selling it all. Right. And I just kept like five records, like a De La, a Tribe, uh, Chronic, uh, Rip the Jacker, and I think Master Ace. Uh, oh, shit. The concept album of Master Ace. And those are the only vinyl I have left. That's a true. That hobby is very expensive and very bulky. Oh, yeah. Nowadays, <laughs> and now what's funny is now you just throw a mix together on your phone and it just... On Spotify, it. and it's so much better. Like, uh, I, I was I started my career as a radio DJ. Oh, that shit took forever to radio edit and, like, make sure everything flows together. Like, kind of have a 
an arc like from going up plateauing and then down like man did go through all that to like in 2020 someone on the radio can just throw on a spotify clean playlist and you're goody right oh man. uh one of the coolest things of being a dad man has been introducing my kids to pop culture and music and tv and movies and all that stuff and my son with all my kicks and uh, i think one of the cooler things now is it's funny with my daughter doing this stupid tiktok stuff hearing these beats and she thinks they're like these original songs and she's listened to it in the car and i'll just lean over and i've got millions of songs on my phone just from my home library mm. and i'll go oh wait a sec that's bam and it just comes through and she's like oh how did you know about that dad blah 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 you know like it's the coolest thing and finding uh, that original sample from the sample the I, song that's hot now oh yeah that's how hey i became a fan of jazz from hip-hop mm-hmm. uh, my dad used to listen to me downstairs listening to tribe called quest and different stuff like that and and he's like oh wait a sec man that's a miles davis track or that's mm-hmm. a you know roy ayers track and you know, donald bird yeah so sorry man we went off we're supposed well, to- real quick real quick you said you know big into sneakers, passed it down to your son and your daughter. What What's like top two, top three, eighties, nineties, like all time kicks for you? Like favorite, like favorite, favorite kicks. Favorite, favorite. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at them right now. Uh, I'm weird, man. I, I have always liked the Air Jordan twos. And a lot of people think those things are garbage, but I got a pair of, of low Air Force or, um, Air Jordan twos that are just, man, those things are just sick to me. And for those people out there, those are those ones that don't have the stripe. Those are, you know, those are the ones that, uh, that were made by like these, uh, this Italian race car dude or something. It was just like the most random it was before Tinker Hatfield got involved with the design. So it was this really big stretch to go in a different direction. I love Air Jordan twos. And I mean, you can't go wrong with Air Force ones. I mean, I got tons of Air Force ones and shell toes. I mean, that, Shelto is probably my favorite, favorite shoe of all time. And Adidas Shelto, you can't go wrong with that. Those are sick. But yeah, dude, I, I mean, I, I'm looking right now. Love the Jordan 4s. Dunk Lows are really cool to me. Like I love, you know, a Dunk Low and a lot of people. That's pretty much what the Air Jordan, the first Jordan came after was basically a Dunk that they mixed up a little bit. Uh, so yeah, you give me like a low, a low. I'm a low guy. Me too. Say to you, oh, bro, uh, Air Force Ones and those question Reeboks with the little <laughs> air patch on the side. Yeah, that, that, is, that is the best basketball shoe I've ever seen. Is the, is the Allen well, Iverson original question? His first one, mm, the question, with the little yeah. air bubble, the red toe. Mm. Mm. That's like, was that your favorite? That that's yeah. my favorite. I also loved uh, the Barclays where they had the little purple and black, and they had the the air bubble in the back. I think the CB ninety fours. Those were. Yep absolute fire yep. um and the pennies the penny twos i had i actually had the penny twos those were those are sick those are number three like the, like i would wake up go get the, go to the mailbox get the east bay and just like sit there and like okay wh- what ones do i want for basketball season what ones do i want like i would save my birthday money i'd get an extra pair like i'd get one pair at the beginning uh for basketball season and then it's like let's say a jordan came out and it came out in the red colorway white and red because red's my favorite color okay, shit, maybe I got two pairs for basketball. Like I'm saving up my my money to try and do this. And oh man, like I've always been like uh, a, a, just a shoe junkie. Yeah, I 
moms didn't get me shoes when I was a kid. She's like, you must be out of your mind. I'm not spending $65 on Air Jordan 1s when they first came out when I was, dude, I was 14. I was like, a, I was maybe, no, nah, I, mean, I was like 13. I was, I remember going to basketball camp. I remember going to AC Green's basketball camp because my dad was good friends with Tinker Hatfield from college at U of O. And Tinker Hatfield's mom was his assistant teacher. And so I had size nine for like two years in middle school. And that's that testing size. And so I'd always get shoes. And I showed up at AC Green's hoop camp at Concordia wearing red and black Jordans. And people lost their minds. They, I mean, I was like, dude, I was like the king of the castle. And I grew up in the hood. I'm, you know, I'm half hood. And dude, they had me on their shoulder. Like, what are those, dude? That's like there were just no black shoes back then unless you were a Celtics and they were, you know, rocking the Converse or something. And uh, I got pictures of me in those very first Jordans. And my, and my mom's like, you're lucky you're getting those for free. Cause I am not buying you those. I'll buy you these show to Adidas with four stripes if you want. <laughs> 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 right. And I'll sew that. I'll sew that. I'll take the tiger off your shirt and sew the alligator on there, but I'm not, I'm not buying you any shoes. So it was funny. So then, you know, I was broke after high school. I didn't have anything. And it was, when I started getting my stuff together and got into TV, where I actually had a little bit of disposable income for the first time in my life. And I think it was just a passion of hoops and a passion of growing up with Iceman poster on my wall mm. and all that stuff. And it was just like, I was like, oh my God, I forgot how much I love this stuff. I just didn't have a lot of history in it. There was a store on 29th in Alberta in Northeast Portland. And that's before Alberta what it is what it is now. You kind of had to have a ghetto pass to get down there. And my pops would take me down there and it, the store was called B&R and it was just these old school Jewish couple from like New York City. And that's when Alberta was nothing but just like boarded up windows and dilapidated buildings that had burnt down back in the 60s. My dad told me when they had the Watts riots in L.A. that they burnt down Alberta. And so this was there was no stores down there. But that was the one shop that everybody went to to buy shoes and buy the Nike posters, the Supreme court posters, um, and to get the, you know, the velvet Fila sweatsuits. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and, Fuck yeah, bro. Right. And, and, <laughs> and you would point to the shoe, they had a picture of them and they would go in and open this big cage and go in there and grab your shoes and try it on. And the old lady would stand at the door. So you couldn't run out with your kicks. <laughs> and, uh, the coolest thing was, man, you got a, you got a Tootsie roll if you bought a pair of shoes. And so, I had some great memories of saving up mowing yards in the neighborhood. Uh, my biggest client was like Ron Wyden, you know, the, the yeah. politician. He yeah. lived right around the corner. And I keep up in his charge. You know, he'd be gone for like months in D.C. And so I tell his wife, I was like, yeah, yeah, I charged 25 bucks. <laughs> and it was actually like five. And so, man, I was getting cash. And so I would go up to BNR, stand in line and go get some shoes. And yeah, I got a, I got memories of, of grinding it and, and getting them as uh, myself. And so I remember when I got older. It became a big passion. I don't smoke or drink, man. So kicks and music and stuff. That's where it's at. Mm -hmm. And then talk about those Nike posters, the Iceman. Uh, I follow you on Instagram and you posted a while back that your daughter found a lot of your old Nike gear and posters and started decorating her wall with that. Was that like a, just a trip for you to, to walk in there and then see all of your memories now being shared with her? Right. And this was kind of my second go around with that because my son is 19 And so, you know, a few years, you know, when he was like in middle school, 
uh, was the first time where he goes, Dad, oh, man, that's Michael Jordan. Because I was, you know, steady grinding in the pop culture and the historical stuff with the kids. Mm-hmm. And so my son actually scored a lot of those and had them on his wall. And he had, you know, old Home Alone poster and Back to the Future posters. And it's a trip. And you walk in my son's room for a good five years and it could have been my room. I mean, it's like all that old school stuff. And then he goes away to college and comes back just when all this crap starts. And my daughter's like had been crashing in his room. And I think she dug seeing all that stuff. And I was like, well, girl, I got a two more, you know, two more cardboard boxes full out there. And she went out there this during all this stuff, man, and started digging out. And she did. She found my old, you know, you guys, Sidney Moncrief mm-hmm. played for the Bucks in the 80s. His nickname. Actually, you know what? I learned so about him during the last dance during Jordan's Sidney Moncrief. Haas will know this. Watch, bro. He'll totally correct me when I'm wrong. Sidney Moncrief was the highest scoring guard in the NBA until Jordan showed up. So I want to say for the first, he had the highest scoring average for the first, you know, 82, 83, Mm. something like that. That dude was cold and his nickname was Sir Sid. And so there's a famous Nike poster of him standing there with his foot on Air Force Ones on a ball, spinning a, a ball on his finger. And there's a, a medieval knight standing next to him. And so, dude, my daughter's got that on her wall right now, like the most That's random. Dope. And she's got the Iceman. She's got, you know, and she's got, she found uh, my old public enemy poster. Oh, like, yeah. She goes, she goes, Dad, you know, where they're in the jail cell, with the, they're all standing mm-hmm. there. And she goes, Dad, public enemy, what's that? And, you know, it was kind of a cool thing. In June, we were going through a lot of stuff. Not cool that we were going through a lot of stuff, but... Uh, the awareness was out there and it was uh, kind of cool to, you know, go into the living room and throw on. I mean, my daughter listens to everything like my son. I mean, she's up to date on old school stuff, but to throw down some public enemy, that was just one that just didn't get, you know, put in the mix when she was younger. And she's like, whoa, she goes, she goes, dad, I love those beats. And I was like, don't even get me started on those beats. Uh, <laughs> and uh, anyway, that I rambled on there. Just I, so I, distinctive too, bro. Yeah. It's just, Right. And I rambled on and on. Sorry about that, Haas, but it has been <laughs> he likes it, Pop. No, no, no. Him. I didn't mean he I didn't mean player of the year in 83 and 84. Uh say again. Yeah, sorry. Sidney Moncrief was the defensive player of the year in 83 and in 84. Defensive player. Defensive player of the year. What was he averaging? 2022. Okay. Well, maybe there was a lot of guards in, or maybe I heard wrong. But he all I know is he was an all star for that stretch. And he was cold, man, because that, that team had like Terry Cummings, Paul Pressey, a lot of guys like that. Those Milwaukee mm-hmm. teams, a lot of people forget. Wasn't, wasn't Dale Ellis on that team too? Dale Ellis, I don't think so. No, I think he might have been in San Antonio. He played Milwaukee later on in his career. Yeah, later in his career, he went over there. Uh, but those Milwaukee teams are tough. And as mm-hmm. a kid my age, you grew up seeing those Milwaukee teams because they were always the third best team in the East forever. I mean, it was always the Sixers, the Celtics, uh, and then it was them. And so. Yeah, Sydney Moncrief, just a random ass poster. But yeah, brother, to answer your question, it uh, it is cool to see that, and you know, it depends on how you treat your kids and stuff, man. And I've always been all about opening their eyes to just everything and just cramming as much info, pop culture info, as you can, because you never know. You know, mm-hmm. I'm kind of I don't consider myself book smart by any means, but you know, being able to pass that uh, pass that knowledge and that the random ass stuff. You know, which, which it's it's definitely cool to see them grabbing that. And my daughter's a sophomore in high school now. So she's at that age where, you know, well, she's got a really cool dad. So maybe she won't go anywhere. But it's at that point where they're going to stop, you know, 
talking to you and stuff. And so you only got a certain amount of time. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the Celtics, the Bucks, um, the Sixers, like teams being on national television, NBA released the first half, first 36 games of the schedule. Portland got shafted a, a bit, you know, we're, we're lucky to be living in a, uh, an era where all games are available, but basically all, all games are broadcast, even preseason, but Portland <clears throat> only got five national television games they're not on opening night they're not on uh opening wednesday they're not on christmas uh considering a lot of people are really positive about where the blazers are and we have a legit superstar in damian lillard why why is it why why do you think that there is that that lack of national respect from the blazers you know that's that's a great great question man i I wish I knew more about how all that stuff works in broadcasting. I worked with the NBA. Well, I did. um, We had done some summer leagues in Vegas where we actually did work for the NBA. So there's a lot of big wigs in the truck and I'd, you know, hear a lot of things. It was really interesting to see how they look at things. And it's, it's, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's always been like that. Like it's always been like that. I honestly don't get upset anymore. Just as if I step back as a fan, because it's like, uh, you know, at least I can still watch them. Like, I'm not even saying how I work, you know, with me working. I'd still be able to watch them. I don't care that, oh, I don't care what Stan Van Gundy has to say about my Trailblazers. Mm-hmm. That's you know exactly I mean? right, man. They don't, no, I don't care. As much you know, I don't care who these random, you know, some sideline reporter, I don't know. You know, I don't care what she talks to Terry mm-hmm. Scott's about this and that. We're lucky. I think, like I said, I'm biased. So it's tough for me to even talk about it. But I have the league pass, and, and dude, I'm an absolute dork, and I record six games a night, and I come home from working, and it's eleven, and I will pound through some games. But I've I've been married, uh, but yeah, dude, I, we're really lucky, man. We put on a good broadcast. I think we really do. There's a lot out there, man, that are not solid, and like it's like they're just kind of sleepwalking through the broadcast, of just showing the game. You know, it depends on what you look for in a broadcast. If you're looking for content, you know, if you just want the game. Um, I will admit, Haas, that I do record if ESPN's in town and we're covering the game. I record the ESPN feed and then I'll watch it either that night or the next day just to kind of get a vibe on what they're saying about the team. You know, I think that I, I so I will backtrack a little bit. I, I do kind of get interested in that. Uh, it real quickly, I sour on it when I hear, you know, half the stuff these guys are talking about. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a weird respect thing. Does it bug me? Not, not so much as it used to, but I just don't think it's ever going to change. I mean, you need to get in that. You need to get an expert on here. Like, you know, like JC, like Jeff Curtin, who, who goes to the broadcasters meetings with the league and hears this and hears that maybe to get a better vibe, but it's just uh it's a draw thing. I mean, you know, it's, it's a draw. You know, LeBron's always going to be there. You know, these guys are always – Harden's always going to be on there. It really does surprise me that Dame uh, – I know he's respected by everybody. You can't. It's really hard to find someone that doesn't like Dame. My wife is uh, hollering at me that dinner is ready. I got to come down. It's rare that she cooks for me. So, Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. Yeah, sorry I ventured off into some other stuff. Though. <laughs> no, we're keeping it all so everyone can hear it. <laughs> Great. But uh, uh, tell people where they can find you on the internet. Yeah, dude. Um, Big John NEP, Big John Northeast Portland, Twitter. Uh, I'm not. I'm probably not the most exciting guy on Twitter. I get on there and crack and have some fun. You're not getting any info from me. I am bringing the Instagram fire though. 
that's kind of where I love Instagram. I'm always, uh, it started with me just wanting to shoot pics for my kids when I was on the road so they can kind of get a vibe of where I was. And then people are just like, damn, dude, you take good pictures. So I do that. I shoot pics wherever I go. Uh, if you're a basketball fan, you'd love my, you'd love that follow. I take a lot of hoop pictures and stuff wherever we go. And uh, occasionally Dame will grab my phone or something, take a cool shot. And it's funny, man. Dame will take a picture with me or something. And I get like a hundred extra followers that day. And then, yeah. then, then like a week later, just they're dumping me. They're like, this is no, this isn't anybody. This is some random ass cat. Uh, but yeah. And then, you know, it's funny, man. I, I completely forgot. I'm glad I came back on there. This has kind of motivated me to uh, maybe get back into my podcast game and try to get to your level. But uh, Home Trippin' with Big John. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts. Uh, I think I am. But I know it's on Spotify. Yeah, it's on there. It's on there. And then uh, Spotify and some of stuff like that. Um, yeah, it is on Apple Podcasts. I think. I think. Yeah. Like and five stars stuff and leave a nice uh, comment on. on Check it podcast. out though. It's kind of fun. I think I've done, I think I did 10. There's some random ones there, man. Like I said, some sports, some music. Uh, I got my boy, um, Mikey, who owns Index PDX. So we had a, a shoe. We had nothing but we talked about kicks. And like I said, I had Nolan Smith on there. Um, my boy, Chris B. Haynes from the NBA uh, joined me. And that was cool. That was before the bubble started back up. This was probably back in June. So. It was cool to talk to Chris about a bunch of stuff and his basically, basically all my podcasts are their story. I just wanted to hear where they came from, what they did to get where they are. And uh, it was fun. We, we talked about a lot of cool stuff, but like I said, Absolutely, thanks for having man. me on. This is uh home tripping with big John. This has got me uh, wanting to get my podcast game back up. I'm going to come and steal all your followers. Hey, that's that's the goal when you appear on somebody else's podcast is to steal all their followers. Uh, so. Anybody listening to this, I will give you. What can I do? I'll give you <laughs> tickets to the opening <laughs> game this season. <laughs> uh, no, we can't joke about that. Um, but I don't know. I'd like to say I'd give you Dame's autograph, or I'll send you an autograph <laughs> of me. How about that? If any game worn, I pick up game on worn this, socks. Uh, Yes, I'll wear. I'll send you some stance NBA socks that I happen to rock one day. Uh, no, seriously, you guys, this was fun, and thanks for having me. I hope uh, you and the families are all healthy out there. Want to thank Big John for stopping by the podcast, uh, but the episode is not wrapped up. Sage, we have uh, some pretty big news that I really wanted to to cover. Uh, it was announced today by the Blazers that over the last four days, three uh, members of the organization tested positive for the coronavirus. So training camp was supposed to start today, which is Sunday, December 6th. They've closed down the practice facility for, you know, deep cleaning and, you know, to confirm their, their contract tracing. Uh, one of our original listeners, one of my favorite people uh, actually gave us both blazers masks uh, before the pandemic really even started a uh, long story longer uh, wants to know, like given the news today, how do you think positive, COVID-19 tests could affect the team or the league once the season starts. Like the bubble is, is no longer Sage. They're trying to do their best to keep travel at a minimum, but the pandemic doesn't care. So how do you think it's going to affect both the Blazers and the league Sage? I think that you have to stay fluid with everything and be really responsible with, with what happens. This could negatively affect the Blazers because they have less time to, uh, to get to know one another 
and this is the shortest offseason I can remember. So it could negatively affect them. But I think that with how important it is to not catch Corona, like it, this is just a necessary evil. And we have to be careful. Everybody has to be careful with Corona. So I just hope that uh, we can get it solved and have some normalcy, but we have to all be careful. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it, it's a, it's an unknown. And you can look and see what, what baseball has, has done, uh, what the National Football League has done. But again, though it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison, there on one hand, there are many more members of, of the organization and the team in both of those sports. Baseball will stay in one city. Um, they, they actually had to go to a, a mini bubble format towards the end and really keep people in, in one location because it was just it was getting out of control. Um, Football is a little different because you're only playing one game a week. And so if something does happen, you can reschedule that game. You can take a impromptu buy. It's it's manageable. But I think basketball is going to be tough because, yes, you've got 13, 14 15 players on your roster plus a minimal coaching staff, and you're not going to have a huge traveling caravan uh, of folks who who normally go to games like we just heard from from John, that they're doing all of the away games from Portland, Oregon. So it, it's just, it's going to be incredibly difficult. Um, I, I really don't know what to expect mm-hmm. um, because we could have games scheduled in December, January, that get postponed until the second half of that schedule gets released. Um, there could be an outbreak and maybe one of the teams just isn't able to play. Like when the MLS is back tournament kicked off again, it was a bubble format, but before they even got in that bubble format, the, the FC Dallas team couldn't even go. I mean, they, they just, the pandemic took over that organization. So it, it's going to be an incredibly difficult challenge. If it gives me any hope, it's the fact that how well the NBA pulled off the bubble and I didn't think the bubble was going to work in the first place. Mm. Um, and I think it comes down to um, player responsibility. Um, the league is very adamant on getting this right. The protocols are in line and the penalties for not following those protocols are, are strict according to, you know, just look at Woj's just timeline. I mean, we're talking penalties, possible draft pick removal, uh, things that organizations don't take lightly. So I, I think you're going to have top-down leadership really set the, the stage of this is how it's going to have to be. Um, you're going to have to be smart. This isn't going to be like regular travel. You, you can't go out and do your own thing. There, there's going to be approved restaurants if you want to do this. Uh, but for the most part, like Dame said, I'm just staying order room service. Like all Dame said, it's like I go to the gym where it's clean and I go home. Like that's I have my circle and, and that's it the Blazers are going to have to fall in line with that. And that's what gives me some hope is the fact we do have a leader like Damian Lillard um, who's going to make the right decisions. But then you look on the opposite spectrum and there there's James Harden. He's at, you know, little baby's birthday bash. He was caught on again on cell phone video footage at a strip club. Um, not if there's anything wrong with that establishment, but not during a pandemic. And that that's, that's, that's your leader. And not only is, is that your leader, but, it can affect everyone else. What if Harden gets someone on his team sick who then comes to contact and and it's a domino effect. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it just starts, you know, you look at that like six degrees of Kevin Bacon, all of that separation. I mean, it's going to be like two degrees because you're going to be able to like, Oh, I know that person because you're connected. Mm -hmm. So it's the players are going to have to really take this seriously. Um, I I think you're going to see, 
organizations really be strict and it's going to get to the point where it's like, okay, I get it. I get it. But I think they're going to have to be on top of it until some form of, of a vaccine is, is ready. Like um, I, I don't know. I'm skeptical. I still think regional bubbles may have been the best way to do it um, where you do a baseball type scenario and you, you get those games in against your teams and, and you're all at one location. Um you don't have to be there for three or four months like you were in Orlando, but um, I, I'm hoping for the best. You know, I'm really excited for the season, but I, I am also realistic and um, it, it could unravel. But but again, you, you got to be smart. You got to be honest. If, if you make a mistake, you got to own up to it. I mean, God, we, we saw the NFL. There was that that rookie that tried to sneak in a, a girl dressed as a team staff member. That rookie's career is over. He, he's never going to play again. Uh, James Harden probably will still be in the league, even if he screws up. But mm-hmm. a guy like CJ Ellaby he's going to be gone. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you got to be on your P's and Q's. And, and that's, again, that's why I'm thankful is we have a guy like Damian Lillard. CJ McCollum has been, been very, you know, talkative uh, about the coronavirus since January, February saying, Hey guys, I, I need to keep my distance. I'm not going to do autographs anymore. I need to take this seriously. And of course he was right. Mm-hmm. So we have smart, intelligent, thoughtful, kind, people on our team. So I feel good about our team. I know there was um, three that we got, but, you know, I think like eight to 10% of the entire league that was tested was positive, which is pretty high. So I I think every organization is probably impacted um, in Mm -hmm. one way or another. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works. And and, and Sage, you mentioned the Blazers, it, it could impact them negatively because they do have a lot of new phases and key, key positions. But on the other hand, I would say, one, we have Dame, and I think he sets the tone. Um, we saw that in the bubble for new players. Like, he was still able to keep us afloat. But two, by getting Rodney Hood back and NS Cantor, we still have eight players from that 2019 Western Conference Finals run. And, and, and I get it. Anthony Simons and Gary Trent Jr. didn't play a large role. Zach Collins is hurt currently. But you're, you're still getting Dame, CJ, Nurk. I mean, you got your big three. Rocco is a consummate pro. He he is a well-defined role. It's not like you're asking him to come in there and put the ball on the floor and create. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Derek Jones. Okay, yeah, you probably got to learn some plays. And there is a lot of chemistry that they need to get to where they were with Harkless and Aminu. But for the most part, you know, you go down your pecking order, even Melo's back. And I would put Melo probably fourth on that pecking order. You got your big four in terms of talent, respectability, um, veteran leadership. I mean, they've been there, done that. So I think in a way there is a good amount of continuity, um, especially off the court. You know, a lot of these players talked about their media av- availability, how the bubble like was like summer camp and they were able to, to get to know one another. And that's really like, you couldn't do anything else. So you hung out with your, your team. Um, so I, I think they know each other off the court. It's going to take a while to incorporate them. I'm not naive, but I, I do think we have, more than average continuity. I think it's only going to get better um, as we get uh, through the, through this NBA season that that's a big giant unknown. So I have a question. Normally with a Terry Stotts coach team, you see second year players take a pretty big jump in responsibility. Do you see that happening with Nasir after him riding the pine quite a bit this year. And then, you know, the smallest off season for him to develop any other skill. Do you think he's going to 
be relegated to the bench or do you think Stotts is going to give him more responsibilities this year? Yeah. And Nasir little also had that um, where he was uh, out for dehydration mm-hmm. purposes. Again, pretty scary incident that happens. It's a technical term that I don't remember off the top of my head, but it seems like he's made a full recovery. He also had that concussion as well. So just a, a really rough rookie year um, for Nasir. I, I honestly don't think it comes down to Terry Stotts. Um and I don't think it comes down to Nasir Little either. I think it's going to come down to opportunity. And especially talking about the coronavirus, there's going to be a time when maybe Rodney Hood's not available. Mm-hmm. Maybe Robert Covington or, you know, Carmelo Anthony, they, they can't play. Or, or especially Mello uh, being a little bit older, hold him out on some of those back-to-backs, um, three and four night type of ordeals. There's going to be foul trouble. You know, there's going to be an opportunity for Nasir Little to play. Is it going to be consistent? Is it going to be a defined role? No, absolutely not. But he's young. He's energetic. He moves well without the ball. Uh, he has a good work ethic, and he he knows his role. So I don't anticipate him. He played last. He went all out. Like I don't anticipate him struggling when when he gets gets into the game. So I think he just has to be ready. Like practice like you're going to play, and the opportunity will present itself. Like there's going to be uh, there's a multiple of ways that he could find himself in the game. I would say if this was a completely sterile season and it's, you knew everything going into it was just like the seasons past, probably going to have a tougher time getting onto the floor. Um, maybe foul trouble, maybe an injury, you know, knock on wood that that doesn't happen. Uh, maybe more traditions of getting on the floor, but this coronavirus thing is going to throw the NBA into a loop. And whether you think it legitimizes the season or not, you're going to see a lot of probably important players across the league miss games, and you're going to see players step up. Uh, Dame was on, you know, his Instagram with Fat Joe saying the bubble was easy for him, easy for a lot of guys. Like there, there's no travel. You're not dealing with your friends and family. Like you just hoop. You wake up and hoop, and you you rest in recovery, and, and you're with your teammates. And I think that's why you saw so much uh, incredible shooting. You saw a lot of breakouts in the bubble. Um, I think that's why you saw some of the scores. Like this was just open run for these guys. There's no fans. There's no pressure. I mean, yeah, the camera crews were there, but with without the fans, this put it in the back of your mind. So there wasn't that that stage fright that comes with, especially some young players uh, coming coming off the bench on those road games, those hostile environments. That's not there, and that's not going to be there this time. Yes, there's going to be some travel, and that throws a little bit of a, a wrench into it. But I would honestly expect the same level of play from a wide array of players, and I think Nasir. Uh, falls into that. I think he he just has to be ready. And I, I don't think anybody wants to play because one of their teammates is out due to the coronavirus. I just think it's it's a realistic approach because it probably will happen. For a stat system, it seems like the rookie year, you're not given much run at all. And then that second year, you get a boost in responsibility. And with how expediated things are, there's a chance that it just, you know, he hasn't earned the trust or whatever. But the world that we're in right now, it, yeah, he probably will have, there will be some days where he is just called upon to play major minutes and he has to just be ready for that, uh, that opportunity. So on Friday, the Blazer schedule was released. I believe it was the first uh, 37 games of, of the season. If my math is, yes, my math is correct. 37 games. If you go to uh uh, NBA.com slash Blazers slash forward center. Uh, Casey Holdall uh, has a really good breakdown of the schedule. Uh, we'll link that in the description of our podcast. Uh, just a solid breakdown to look at it because when you see a schedule, you're like, oh, cool. Like we open up against the Jazz. 
Um, and then you just kind of go from there, like, oh, we have a lot of home games in January. But just to read some of the factoids that that Casey, you know, provided for the, you know, just looking at the schedule, I would have never thought that our first 18 games are in the states of Oregon and California. Um, that's pretty incredible in terms of minimizing travel. Um, mm. I think that plays uh, to Portland's uh, advantage. Uh, you look at the fact that uh, we only have seven uh, back-to-backs. That That's definitely not the most, and, and it's not the least. Um, and you start to look at where the Blazers can make, make their living. Um, we, we've heard multiple people in the media avail- availabilities uh, this past week talk about getting off to a quick start. Dane even said, uh, the teams that have done best have gotten off to fast starts during his tenure. Uh, they're going to have a chance because you you look at December, there's four games, uh, two home, two away. January is where they need to do it. 16 games, 10 of them are home, six of them are away, and they really need to get off to a hot start because February is there, – there's no rest for, for the weary. I mean, that's when they really hit the road in Feb. Uh 10 of the 14 uh, games that month are on the road and primarily uh, Midwest and the East coast. Um, It's going to be an interesting season because you look and you're like, Oh, like I I really think we can, we're better than these teams, but again, who's going to be playing, but Mm. if if we're looking at it, like they are going to be playing. I really do like the way the schedule sets up. Um, You get Utah, a team you should be, You, you get Houston, um, a team that's in turmoil who just traded for a new starting point guard. Yeah, you got to go at Lakers, at Clippers. Then you play back to back against Golden State at, at Golden State. Um, those are the those are the interesting baseball type of scheduling that is going to, I think, make or break teams when you look at the last uh, standings of the season, Sage. Because you let let's say Portland goes into that Golden State game games, excuse me, completely healthy. You're playing the Warriors completely healthy. Okay. Those are going to be tougher games to play than let's say you're going into play Golden State back-to-back in in May or June, and, and maybe they just didn't have the season that they want. They're resting Steph a little bit more. They're running the offense through James Wiseman more. That's going to be a much more easy game. And yes, we, we've seen <laughs> yeah. that throughout NBA seasons. I mean, teams start to tank. But it, it's amplified if you get that baseball schedule and you're playing a series essentially against the team that way. I mean, that's a great way to pick up two easy dubs rather than having to face them full strength. Um, and even if you are a better team, so I'll take I'll take the Oklahoma City Thunder for for example. Portland's a better team than the Thunder. But let's just hypothetically say we have to go to Oklahoma City and we have to play them two two games in, in three days it's hard to beat a team in a back-to-back scenario, mm-hmm. even in the playoffs when your intensity is, is, you know, incredibly high. This is regular season scenario. Um, the Blazers mentioned last year that they kind of were a little cavalier. I think Neil Olshay did on Woj's pod, um, but they just kind of went into games, thought they could roll the ball out on the court and, and get the W. I think the primary example was the Warriors early in the season with four or their five starters out. And we got roasted by a bunch of rookies and G leaguers. They're, they're, um, they're hungry. They want that, that next contract. Exactly. And a lot of players are on one to two year deals. And so they want to get paid, especially when the fans start to get back into the arenas in the following seasons. Uh, not, you know, God for God, God willing. Um, so that in itself is going to be a challenge to, to beat a team twice in a row. So I, I don't anticipate you're going to see teams on like 60 win paces this year. I think if a team can win 55 game, 55 win pace, 
that's going to be enough that's, to lock up a one seed. Plus, you've got the West is so deep. You've got a lot of top-heavy teams in the East. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know who's going to be on your roster for, for some of these road trips. But yeah, I, I would be surprised if there's a team that has like that runs away with it like Milwaukee did in the regular season. Yeah. I think it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be nip and tuck. Um, I think it, you're going to see home court decided by a game or two, maybe the one seed that maybe you're going to see a year where it's like one through eight divided by, or decided by three to four games. And, and it's going to be, how did you do in these series games? How did you do early on in the season? And did you beat the teams that you're supposed to beat? And, and that's always been the case with the Blazers. Like, are they going to dick around or are they going to come and focused and take care of business? And I read a I read something on Twitter that we decreased our travel by like fifty percent for this first half of this year. I mean, just geographically, we always travel more. So the fact that it's more, it's less travel, I think it's gonna help us later in this year. Just because travel travel takes it out of you. So if we can have that rest advantage, that's gonna be huge. And I'm not going to go through the entire schedule. Uh, you all have access to it. Um, but I, I do want to look at that January because I think that is really where the Blazers could start to separate themselves. And it is like a snowball effect. Once you get on top and you, you start get rolling, um, you start to believe and you start to realize, okay, we can't take a night off now. Like we want to keep that number one spot. The Blazers realized how difficult it was going into the bubble as just trying to get to a play in like, they didn't get a chance just to easily accelerate into the season. They went full throttle and it takes a lot out of you physically and mentally. Uh, so they, they do have a chance. And so we already mentioned of the 16 games that 10 of them are going to be at home. We talked about those first two, I mean, new year's day, you're playing the golden state warriors Then Sunday you're playing them as well. Both in the Bay area, you get home games against lottery teams in Chicago and Minnesota You go on a quick little road trip to the Bay. You play another lottery team in Sacramento. Come home again, Toronto, go back to Sacramento. And then you're on this massive homestand, Indiana, Atlanta, San Antonio, Memphis, Memphis, New York, Oklahoma City. You end the month at Houston and at Chicago. Sage, I I don't see maybe the Golden State games. Outside of those Golden State games, I don't think Portland, if we're talking a, a full roster of health, wouldn't be favored. I mean, mm-hmm. they it's set up for them to really push the tempo and push the envelope and say, league, here we are. We are not going away. We are a top four team. Um, I think it's really their time to say, yeah, everyone said we won the off season. Well, here, we, we just put pen to paper and we're, we're proving to you why we are a threat to win it all. Yeah, I think that, that stretch of the uh, year, you have to really kick it into gear and really take every game seriously because it is a easier part of that schedule. It, it, it is where we can just chain together a lot of wins. We, we, we have to take every team seriously this, this year. We have the talent to take us to high heights. We have to take every game seriously and no golden state, no Washington wizards when they really sucked, no Philadelphia 76ers when they really sucked. We have to take every game very seriously and, 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 these wins matter because it, you could you you could be uh, totally right with the games being close, like a margin of error, like as at four from one to eight. The, we have no idea what the hell is going to happen. So 
good teams could lose to bad teams a lot. So we, we have to take advantage of when the schedule is easy. One last thing on the schedule. I am really going to be looking forward to brunch with the Blazers. The Blazers will have back-to-back 10 a.m. starts February 6th in New York and 7th in Charlotte. Um, I absolutely love the early morning starts on the weekend, especially if the Blazers get the dub. Like your days just, I mean, you, you get you get your breakfast burrito, you get a Blazer victory, and then you just do whatever the hell you want for the rest of the day. So um I hate those days, but that's just because well, maybe don't stay up till 4 a.m. Sage. <laughs> you don't know my life, but yeah. you too. You text me all the time. <laughs> yeah, bro. I, play, I played 2K for so long. No, um, you know, maybe, maybe in that time my sleep schedule will, will have normalized. I think the game I'm looking forward to most is that uh that New Orleans game, and then I think the first Lakers game were the two that I'm most excited about. I would say I'm most excited about this Friday. Uh, I know it's preseason, but I, I want to see the the full, given everybody's availability, I, I want to see what what they look like. What What is the team in preseason? Are, are they going to take it seriously? Like, like I said, we called that game against Phoenix. I was there in the preseason, and, and I didn't like the body language. I didn't like the way we approached it. Um, didn't like the way we played perimeter defense. And it turns out it was a precursor for everything that went wrong during that regular season. So, you know, you're talking about wanting to make amends for the the last season. You really want to challenge the Lakers. Uh, I want to see it in preseason. I I want to see how how they come out. I want to see the the young players. We have a lot of depth. How's Terry going to tinker with the lineups? Um, But yeah, I mean, outside of the preseason, obviously opening night sets the tone. I think again, last season, losing that, that lead to the Nuggets um, ending our home opener streak again, set the tempo for, for the season, unfortunately. So I want to see us get off to a good start against a, a, a Northwest division rival. And then you're uh, looking forward to, to the Lakers. I'm actually looking forward to um, that Clippers because you. Dame <laughs> has been uh, just on fire going at Paul George. And, and I know they, they don't, they, they, they each remember what happened in the bubble. So yeah. I think that has the ability to be a really spicy rivalry. And I would love to get matched up with them um, in the postseason. Anything else you want to talk about? I think or lastly, before we sign off, what, what's the what's the one thing you're looking forward to in preseason, Sage? Hmm. How uh, Terry Stotts rolls out the rotations for the given day and how he matches up with other teams, especially with the bigs. Like, is it an NS day? Is it a, a Harry Giles day? I think the rotations is going to be a very interesting thing on what, what Stotts does for the preseason and early season. Yeah, I would say I'm just looking for the fundamentals on defense. I know what this team can do offensively. They're one of the best in the league. Where are we at defense? Are we trying? Are we making the right reads? Are we talking to one another? Am, am I seeing certain things that I saw last year where people were lost on defense? And, and I, I get it. It's going to be two new members into the starting lineup but these are professional athletes. They've played basketball for the majority of their career. They're at lead of what they do. Um, talking to one another, making the right reads, that, that that should come somewhat naturally. I want to see how we look on the defensive end. And clearly, I don't expect it to be elite day one, but you want to be like, oh, I see the potential here with Derek Jones Jr. and Robert Covington along with our, our three starters. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we could be really damn good on the defensive end. It may have not happened tonight, but, but I liked – 
the things that I saw. Mm-hmm. I don't want to come backstage as we do our preview episode um, next week and be like, God damn, like here we go again. Like that's it. That cannot be the tone. So that's what I'm going to be looking for. Absolutely. All right. You can find the show on iTunes, Google play, Stitcher, Himalaya podcast, dash radio Tuesdays, two to three Pacific, four to five Eastern. And if you've listened this far, you're a real one and salute to uh, big John. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go.